Welcome to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies to improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to help improve financial results in our beer business, and now I'm helping other craft breweries do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I sit down with Kyle Smith from Gorman Smith Beverage Equipment Company. Kyle's a consultant for the beverage industry, helping clients through the process of opening and expanding their facilities. In our conversation, we talk about a number of topics from equipment sourcing to how to model your business using gap analysis and really focusing on the fundamentals of your business operations. Kyle shares how we can use simple tools, things such as sticky notes and Sharpie pens to accomplish this task. It's really low barrier to entry, low cost, just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of brain power. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Kyle Smith from Gorman Smith Beverage Equipment Company. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Gary. Great to have you here. So your company, why don't you give some list, the listeners some background on, on your experience and what Gorman and Smith does? How did the business come about and what services do you provide? So my background is in chemical engineering from the University of Western Ontario here in Canada. And then for several years, I was the head brewer at a regional brewery called Cameron's in Oakville. And from that, I transitioned into brewery project management from an engineering perspective. And about two years ago, I went into work on an Easter Monday at a small stainless steel shop. And there was a letter from a lawyer saying that I no longer had a job. So obviously all of my customers still wanted to build their breweries and I connected them with some suppliers and figured out how to mitigate the damage as best as I could. So since then I've been putting one foot in front of the other and trying to make it work on my own. Absolutely. You got to shift, you got to adapt. It sounds, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like what we're, we're deal, all dealing with right now. So how is, how has your business changed, you know, with, with everything that's going on right now? So right now, food and beverage is considered an essential service in Ontario and Canada, and anyone that supplies those industries is allowed to remain open. And But a lot of international supply chains have kind of been unreliable, and people are starting to look for more local options again. So I've been helping a lot of small town trades, um, tradesmen and tradeswomen source materials and problem solve a couple of hand sanitizer plants. So those are all new facilities. They're all trying to get up and running as fast as possible. And they're all trying to use whatever's available at a local level. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, so I wanted to dig in on, on something. You and I were recently guests on a, a presentation for the craft brewery professionals group. And you were talking about how now is a good time for breweries to model their business. And I just, I love, I love that phrase. So I wanted to ask you to expand on that. Like, what does that mean to you? Talk about what that process might look like and and how breweries can benefit from that. So I actually got the concept from a, an entrepreneur and consultant named uh, Tom Wujek. He's a professional here in Toronto as well. And he believes with any business model, you can solve just about any large problem by making any of the ideas visible, 
collaborating with your entire team and then determining some sort of course of action. And I call it like a gap analysis or a choke point analysis. And you can apply that to just about anything in your business, which is your brand, your taproom experience, your overall sales, your brewery production. And it's basically saying, okay, we're going to draw everything out as a company. We're going to get everyone to be on board in this concept. And then we're going to determine where the biggest impact can be. Nice. Where would you start with something? I mean, I love I love the models and the concepts. Where where would you suggest people start with that? How do you because there's you know you could say, boy, I could start anywhere. How do you how do you think about that? So right now, we're we're in the, like if you haven't figured out how to pivot from this crisis, that's you, you have to do that right now. A lot of people have seen their draft sales uh, vaporize, so you have to kind of pivot away from what's not working and focus on what is working just to keep things moving. Uh, you need to stabilize the business. So if that's that's figuring out anywhere unnecessary income is going, uh, just if it's unnecessary memberships or fees or costs, um, just try and like stop the bleeding however you can. Put the Pump the brakes. Try and figure out where budgeting or resources or time or employees can go that's going to be more valuable than what they were doing several months ago. And then you can start to arrange your solutions. And that's where you're going to start to restore where your business was. And then from that, you should prioritize your resources to have the greatest impact. It doesn't make sense to put your brewer on the the draft line the keg line anymore. That's not going to return much of a result, but if he's or she's doing work that can either improve the quality of beer or have greater access to your customers, then that's a high priority item at the moment. Nice. And do you have any resources or places you would point people to learn more about either gap analysis or I think you called it choke point analysis, any things you would point people to? Um, First, I would actually start off with Tom Wujek's activity. It's just called drawtoast.com, and it's very simple. It runs about an hour, and I've done it several times with several breweries. That's kind of the first step. And then from that, you want to try and figure out where your problem is within the organization and running through that activity and having your whole group involved is a great way, like a great first step in the in that direction. Cool. And just so I have the name right, it's could do you know the spelling of Tom? Yep. T O M W U J E C. J E C. I would not have gotten that. Okay. And the name of the website is it Draw Toast? Draw Toast. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll put that in the in the notes so people can check that out. That's awesome. Thank you for that. No problem. Um, one other thing you had mentioned, I, th- I think it might be worthwhile digging into is, and, and I see this a lot, is, is we, when we want to do something like this, say model our business or do some gap analysis, we there's maybe a tendency to look for a software package that can help us. And you had mentioned you know, during a presentation, hey, just get some, I think you said just some uh, post-it notes. And how, how do you think about that in terms of the tools that are abs- that are necessary for something like this? Um, well, it's surprising on how many businesses still run with handshakes and fax machines and all those 
resources. And it's like, sure, there's a lot of software and there's a lot of tools and there's a lot of spreadsheets that you can always use. And those have their time and their place. But if you don't know where the problem is, staring at software isn't necessarily going to help you find the problem. So by taking those simple tools, it's something you can pick up from any like office supply store. It's very low barrier to entry. You just spend a couple of hours, order some pizzas, work at it a little bit. And just by like actively spending time on it, you can start to figure out where the issues are. And I'm, I'm going to reiterate, it's important to bring in as many people in as possible because you're, the owner could have a series of problems, but the owner's problems are very different than the, the taproom staff or the brewers or the distributors or the salesmen. They all have very different concerns and very different issues. And sometimes they can stem from single problems, but sometimes they can be they can stem from overall problems or different points. And um, yeah, literally t- take a lunch meeting and jot some ideas on paper because that's all it takes sometimes is just to start working away at it's like, okay, what, what are we doing wrong? And if everyone has the same goal, then it's going to get fixed a lot faster. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, cause, cause you're right. I think a lot of times we don't have the same goal, do we? Different, different perspectives, different departments. Um, so getting that focus. Yeah. Those, those are great points. And, and I'll just underscore, you know, the simple tools. Um, I don't know where I heard this, but, you know, in my office right now, I have, I kind of divide it into two sides. One is the gadgets and the electronics. And the other side is total old school. It's Sharpies, it's big pieces of paper, it's note cards, you know, it's all analog, I guess we would say. And frankly, I find it refreshing to get away from the laptop, to get away from the phone, turn that crap off and go over and just pull out a big marker and start, because now, that's where the fundamental stuff comes from, right? It's like, what am I trying to achieve? And, and you said it earlier, like, you know, you just stare at the software, you're not going to find the problem. Yep. And we, we, I do spend, and I and imagine others do, they spend an inordinate amount of time learning how the software works as opposed to solving what, you know, you maybe even lose sight of the problem you were trying to solve. Uh-huh. So I love that. I think it's great. Um, maybe one last point on this topic is, um, you know, now we're, you know, the whole, the whole world has changed. I've tried to personally, I think a lot of others have tried to use this time, not as a negative, but kind of flip it to their advantage and focus on these fundamentals. Um, would you agree with that? Do you think now is a good time to, I mean, you said now is a great time to model your business. Um, but maybe just give me your, your thinking on that. I, I tend to agree with that. I just want to hear kind of where your, your thoughts are on that. Um. I just think it's a good time because it is like, I know they're starting to reopen up in the States and they're starting to open up your tap rooms and we're not quite there yet here in Canada. So people have a little bit more spare time. They have a little bit, not spare time, but it's not as hectic as it would be. And sometimes those breathers are a good time to take a step back and reevaluating what you're doing. Because if you're, if you're actively in the process you could be spinning your wheels and not realize it. So things are a little bit less hectic in terms of production. Um, they probably are more hectic in terms of distribution or sales or pulling at straws in other departments. But taking a step back and just saying, okay, what is working and what is not working 
is really important right now because resources are a lot more finite than they were six months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's, that's also an interesting point is when resources are more scarce, you're more focused on using them appropriately, right? As opposed to, well, I've got some slack in the system. I don't really need to do this right now. But there's definitely a sense of urgency on all levels. I mean, you had mentioned, uh, you know, stopping the bleeding relative to the financial side, right? Because that's, you know, job one is make sure you you got cash in the bank and you can stay in business. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of different folks that, you know, what they would ordinarily, ordinarily do like an annual plan. Now they're really doing kind of a monthly plan. So they're focusing on their finances much more relevant. Like I'm focusing on June. Yes, I want to plan out the rest of the year, but I'm focused on June. And in doing so, it brings a lot more uh, relevance, accountability, and, and quite frankly, improvement. You know, some of the anecdotal responses were, you know, they're, they're improving margins because they're much more focused on it and they have to. So I think that combination of things is very interesting. You know, the urgency of this isn't nice to do. This is survival. You have uh-huh. to. And combining that with, okay, I'm not just trying to survive the next week or months. I want to fundamentally look at my business and figure out how I can, and then use that speed and urgency to get it done. So this isn't just an exercise we're going to figure out over the next six months. And we need to finish this in the next two days. So I think that can be turned around and and, and really kind of accelerate a lot of stuff we should be doing anyhow. And if you're using simple tools, you don't have to go shopping around for different suppliers and different educate yourself on what's out there on the market. If it's Sharpies and Post-it notes, you can do it in an afternoon. You can do it in like very quick, very finite timelines. Awesome. I love that. So let me shift to on your website in your uh, frequently asked question section, you talk about an important first step uh, for breweries that might be starting out is, is to have a brewery business plan. So I wanted to ask you, um, from your perspective, what are the fundamentals of a good plan and how would you advise clients to change or update those plans during this time? Uh, so first, you should always have an eye towards the future. I see a lot of people that buy either – they generally undersize their equipment right off the bat, and you want to be focusing on kind of uh, – how to get in a position where you're brewing about once or twice a week, just for the first couple of years. And because if you're brewing two shifts a week or two shifts a day, every week, all week, um, right from the get go, you're, you have no room to grow. You have no room to expand and that's going to hinder any growth in sales or distribution or brand. So having the proper size brew house and brewing equipment, all that's right off the go is pretty important. Uh, I would also say you need to have like a succession planning for changing roles as how you as the business owner are going to like, are you the brewer? Are you the sales guy? What are you going to do at the start? And then how is your role going to change as your company grows? And then you need some sort of exit strategy. And that's never the fun thing to talk about. But it's you need to say, when when do we cash in our chips? Is it Do we want to sell? Do we want to liquidate the assets? Do we want our kids to have the brewery? That those are having those kind of lined out in in the business plan are important because at some point it could call come down like a house of cards and you have to stick to kind of that plan. So in terms of finances, I really recommend people try to 
pad as much budgeting as they can. I do not mean remortgage your house. I mean, actually find funding and see where you can get money from because uh, a brewery is not cheap. It's probably the most expensive thing you will build. And bank loans are were pretty difficult to get. They're even more difficult to get now. And some people need to look at their original business plan and see where they should balance their fixed costs versus their variable costs. And I actually rec- even though a lot of contract brewers don't get a lot of love from a lot of people in the industry, I tell people that you should consider it as a way to test the market and test your business plan because like stainless steel kegs, they hold value. Your brand assets, eh, okay, you, you spent some money on a, some digital marketing and stuff like that. But if you have a contract brewery, you don't have a building, you don't have an expensive brewing equipment, you don't have dozens of people on staff. If you if you get tired of it and you want to figure something else to do, it's a lot easier to dissolve that corporation at from the get-go. Marketing branding, I think, is becoming further and further important. Uh, craft beer, five, year, five, 10 years ago, if you were the only craft beer in town, you got a free pass and people were willing to try your product no matter how what quality it was and now every neighborhood has its own little neighborhood brewery or uh, i think we have something like 30 some odd breweries probably over 40 in toronto so people don't need to travel anymore and uh, being able to connect with your local market is just super critical and it's just going to get even more competitive as more little places open up and then also have an insurance plan because uh or was it Muhammad Ali who says uh, plans dissolve when you get hit in the face? Right. And <laughs> and having insurance is, is so important because um, alcohol is a controlled substance. And there's a lot of things that could go wrong. And it's important to contact those people ahead of time so that you have the resources at your disposal if should you get into a bad situation. It doesn't matter if you're directly responsible for it or not. It's just sometimes you're liable for situations that because you you made a controlled substance and unfortunately someone could get into to a car and uh, harm someone and they were at your brewery or consumed your product last. So how that changes now? Um, <laughs> I think I think it's important to uh, play your cards a little bit closer to your chest and to try and see where 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 your resources should go. And nobody should be doing any large capital projects or any large expansions in the short term. Sure, you can have that on the back burner, but I would focus on um, anything that keeps uh, keeps beer going, keeping your customers engaged, uh, keeping your staff employed. Those are all the highest priority right now because uh, in 6, 12, 18 months, those, those are the things that are come back. And people are going to remember when you stuck it out and you helped them out when everything else was kind of uh, disassociating. Yeah, those are great points. I, I think uh, certainly the insurance plan, I, I would say an insurance plan, make sure you're you're properly insured and a contingency plan to make sure this has been a giant wake-up call for everybody, right? Uh-huh. And, and it's also, a uh, you know, I say this little with some trepidation, but it's been, it's an opportunity for us to say, okay, anything can and might actually happen. (laughs) So we can't uh, rest on our laurels. We can't just put our head down and work harder. We have to step back and and look at, you know, our contingency plans and do we have one and what would we do if, 
So I think everybody's attuned to this right now. It's like you're going through this pandemic, this financial crisis. We anticipate we're going to come out of it. I think there's a lot of angst about, are we going to go back into it? So I think what I've been trying to talk about is, um, you know, really understanding this can and did happen. We'll come out of it. Don't get comfortable when we do, you know, have that plan. We don't need to be paranoid, but I think we need to have a good contingency plan and, and, and a business, a written business plan. I think it's a good way to do that. Because what I've seen a lot of times is, you know, business owners, managers, employees, we'll have tons of meetings, right? We'll talk, Buck, I'm talking, you're talking, we're hearing different things. But if something's down on paper that says, you know, these, this is our contingency plan. This is, this is our plan A, what's happening right now as we're growing. This is plan B if things start to hit the fan. Um, and I think you could even marry that with your idea of the gap analysis and, yep. and your point analysis where you, you're really identifying, right, does our business plan contemplate really the important things for our brewery or did we completely miss something? Yeah, we don't actually have great insurance. Let's go look at that again. You know, some of these building block fundamentals, uh, I look at a business plan and it's almost like a checklist. It's like, do you have these things covered? We do. Now it's a game plan. Let's go execute on them. So great stuff. I love that. So I and did want to ask plan relative, we touched getting everyone marching to the same drum too. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Because right. We, like I said, when we talk to people, we hear different things. We have different perspectives. We're, we may or may not be paying attention. Um, but if it's written, it's communicated, you know, and you brought this up earlier is including a lot of different people um, communicating to all those people, having a two way conversation. Does this make sense? Do we know what we're all doing? Yeah. The same sheet of music, super important, really fundamental, simple, uh, but not not done a whole lot. You know, it really is. It's surprisingly uh, one of those simple things that can make a big difference. Um, so relative to equipment sourcing, obviously you had said, you know, there's not many capital projects going on right now. You know, there's no, there's no, not a whole lot of lending and there's not a whole lot of people you know, feeling comfortable to expand. But, you know, relative to sourcing equipment, I mean, obviously everything's changed, but what do you advise going forward for that? I mean, when what, what's your general feeling on equipment sourcing? Um, going forward, it's well, we've entered a bit of a bear market, and everyone's kind of holding on to you know, whatever funding they have. And there was a period of delays in China, and I had several people just be like, "Hey, I need to get this running, and I don't care where you get this from because China's not picking up the phone right now." And now we're kind of in the other phase where all the components that were originally and the raw materials that were originally sourced in East Asia are, were, were coming behind. And now a lot of North American manufacturing facilities are, are hurting due to staff layoffs and um, rearrangements. So we're probably going to see a little bit of struggles for quite some time because um, it's just, Takes, it's going to take a little bit more time for components to come in and for people to get back up and running. And I, if you're trying to source anything right now, I would try to focus on suppliers with either local production or local support offices because they're going to have a much better access to materials than the support office in like halfway across the continent or in another country. And I would say large keystone projects are incredibly risky right now. But if you focus on projects that will improve any safety or day-to-day experiences of the staff and customer, this is the perfect downtime to do it. But 
And, I, and I, I've heard rumors, people are like, oh, there's going to be tons of equipment dumped on the, the market soon. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm not saying every brewery is going to come out of this unscathed, but depending on where the, the, how healthy those businesses were, um, how much capital those businesses had access to, their equipment could be great or it could be uh, very poor. It could have been a, a shoestring operation and they were hurting before this crisis had happened. And the, I know there's a couple facilities in Ontario that are sold, but are, are on the market. And one of them was from a, from a facility that had just overextended their reach. And that's not because of the current situation. That's just from not great business decisions. So it's, it's, it, it, it's almost like a wait and see for anything big. Uh, if you were, if you had those plans already, you already had all everything lined up in a row. It's a great time to work through those projects because um, everyone's slow. So you get great access to, uh, people when it's uh, safe to do so and when it, everyone's a little bit their schedules are a little bit more open so uh, there's a little bit more time to wrap things up and finish things up and move on to the next thing just it's going to take longer and uh, everyone just needs to be a little bit patient <laughs> <laughs> indeed one of the things uh, you know as off premise expands you know packaging lines and so forth um, from a from a canning line equipment perspective it clearly seems like there's a lot more demand for that right now are you seeing anything or hearing on anything relative to that like is there are canning lines available are you know are breweries looking to buy those or is that uh, still more in the wait and see bucket i haven't seen a like i've seen people want to access canning lines more often i am i'm not quite sure how the difference is in your local market but in ontario the the favorite at the moment is tall cans. And that's partially because of a negative pressure from the distributor, like which is the government. So that's the LCBO. They prefer craft brands to be in tall cans. So if you want to distribute through the province, your product is probably going to be in a tall can. Um, I've seen a lot of people want to start to source their own lines because we have several contract canning companies, but because none of that product is going into kegs anymore. It's you have basically twice the demand for physical cans and the staff to make it. So the length of time it takes for booking those services has gone up drastically. They're working overtime. They're working long days. They were already working long days before. Now it's just the pressure has gone up. So I, I haven't seen too much increase in terms of like lead times or anything like that for canning lines. I think it's still one of those, it's a, a canning line is a big capital expenditure and not a lot of people have uh, put a lot of money towards those yet. So I don't think canning line manufacturers are more or less stressed than they would be normally, but they're um, I would say availability of aluminum cans and lids and the labels that's probably gone up for a lot of people and it's a lot harder to get those materials so it's going to require some uh interesting um, problem solving for at a local level and some like that's i i but realistically i see people who ha already have access to the candy lines with like either through a reputable small contract canner or having your own line. Um, they're probably going to be a little bit easier in the long term, just because a lot of people are starting to ship 
more themselves and the shipping weight of aluminum is a fraction of glass. So it makes it a lot easier to transport those goods over in the mail or through courier services. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to shift and ask you about product development. Um, So obviously it's a critical component for any brewery, but how do you think about product development process um, and innovation in particular? So you should always kind of have your target result first and then work backwards from that. Like who are you making this product for? What's your goal? And I would say it should be sales oriented, but not driven because it, you might make a beer, but if you can't figure out a well, way to sell it, then what was the point of putting all that money and time and resources into making it? And one of the important things is to make sure that it matches your philosophy as a brewery. Um, if it's off brand, people are going to get, maybe not all the time, but they're going to get confused by why, like, is this like true German brewery? Like, why are they making a triple barrel age IPA for, like, if, if it's off brand, it's going to, Sure, there might be you might gain some customers, but it might not resonate with the customers you already have too well. And I would figure out ways to support that new product whenever you can in ways that can fail cheap. So don't buy 50 new custom tap handles right off the bat, but figure out a way to support it through your sales staff and promotional items because um, if it if you can if it doesn't get the support that it needs, it's going to flop. And coming from a brewing background, I say it's let your brewer have some fun. It's their job to make the beer as best as they can. And having their passion behind the product is only going to make it better in the long run. Makes sense. So from an operational perspective, do you have any must do's like action items for brewery owners and managers right now? Anything they really should be, should be laser focused on? Yeah, pay attention to your local market. Um, I, international supply chains are kind of very uprooted at the moment, and people are still going to want the products that they want. It's not like people have stopped consuming the products. They have just have a harder time getting access to them. So looking at what your local market wants right now is very important. For example, very few people want to wait in line for uh, liquor stores. So if you can offer... a a painless way to get people into your door, well, figuratively, uh, it's going to help you in the long run. I would say you also need, you re, under normal circumstances, it's important. Now it's even more important to listen to your staff and provide them the resources that they need to succeed because they are the ones that are going to be on the floor, uh, physically making the beer, interacting with the customers, interacting with the suppliers. Um, they are basically going to be funneling all the concerns out there into the most important ones. And if you're not paying attention to what your staff have to say, um, they're going to get frustrated. I know several of my friends who've quit their jobs because they just haven't been given the PPE that they needed to do their jobs properly right now. And now it's even more stressful under normal times. You could get away with it, but now it's just like, no, we don't have what we need to do our jobs properly. We could get really sick. So that's also important. Um, I'd also say show just a little bit of empathy and have a little bit more patience than normal. Like we're not all in the same boat, but we're all weathering the same storm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those are great points. So this, this is a question I've been asking guests recently and I'm going to ask you and you can feel free to, to not answer uh, or, or punt on this. It's fine. Um, but everybody wants to know when are we going to come out of this? 
how long is it going to take? What's it going to look like? So if, if you had that crystal ball and you look into it, what do you see in there? Well, I'm not an epidemiologist, and people like the CDC and medical professionals should be listened to first before me because they spend billions and billions of dollars researching this stuff, and I'm nowhere near that level. And I don't think there's going to be a magic switch. There's not going to be a lever that goes back to normal. And it's going to take time, and the people that want to rush out and rejoin society and go to tap rooms, they're going to do it. But the people who are anxious or nervous, they're it's going to take a long time for them to want to uh, go back because that's, that's until those anxieties have, have faded. And what I do hope from this whole thing happens is that people gain like a, a reevaluation of how they're sourcing the things they consume, like the beer that they buy, the groceries that they buy. Um, Air freight has, Traffic has dropped significantly because there's less air travel. So shipping costs have gone up and regional warehouses are having problems with their staffing and keeping them safe. And shipping companies are at the highest demands they've ever seen. So I really hope people start to look at their neighbors and supporting them a little bit more and sourcing from their communities a little bit more than they were a year ago. So that's, one, two, three years from now, that's what I would hope that to see in my crystal ball, but we'll have to wait and see for that one. Absolutely. I, you know, I listened to a podcast recently and I'll, I'll link to this if people want to check it out. Um, it was a, an owner of a restaurant chain and he was kind of talking about, you know, how he's navigated the crisis and so forth. And he said something fairly interesting because we try to make comparisons with all right, what what's happening right now with this pandemic and have any of us seen anything like this? And by and large, the answer is no, we've never seen anything like this. But in his view, it's like, no, we haven't. But human in human history, you know, we've, there's been pandemics galore. They're quite frankly having, you know, you look to the 1918, of course. And one of the things he was talking about was, you know, as horrible as that was, you know, look at what happened afterwards. It was the roaring 20s, right? From 1920 to 1928 or thereabouts. So people went crazy. So maybe this is me being uh, overly optimistic, but, you know, if, if we can learn some lessons from the past or if history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, you know, maybe there's something there relative to, you know, I think how adaptable you know, we can be, and particularly in the beer industry, how scrappy everybody can be and, and the resolve, it's just amazing. So um, again, the timelines are tough, but, you know, I think history might be a guide in that we, we might be hopefully better off than we might otherwise think. So that's the way I'm going to approach it anyway. So I wanted to ask you, what lessons have you learned personally, or what are you learning from this crisis? And you can answer this anyway, like financial lessons, uh, business lessons, preparedness, anything in particular come to mind for you? Well, I, I'm learning how to use about eight different video conferencing apps all at once. And <laughs> that's a, an overnight skill that's just emerged. Uh, it's kind of like why there's 16 different phone chargers. It seems like everyone's developed their own one. Um, to be honest, I'm working on trying to be kinder to myself. And you're not going to be as productive as you were six, 12 months ago. You're not going to be able to do as things as quickly or as uh, to the same degree because you, you don't have access to the same resources you did that there was. So instead of thinking of ways that 
I didn't get something done or didn't accomplish attacks. I'm trying to focus part of my, my week every week into improving my processes and how I approach things so that I can put in a similar amount of time and then get better results just because everything seems to be taking a little bit longer. seems to be a little more difficult. seems to be a little more challenging. Um, you can't have boardroom meetings anymore and hammer things out quickly with suppliers or customers. You have to do everything over video conferencing. So right now it's important to remember that putting more effort into the same task might not result in better outcomes. So that's kind of what I'm trying to teach myself at the moment. Good. That's good stuff. Yeah. I've certainly found at least on the meetings, um, you know, there, there are some efficiencies to be gained, you know, a couple, maybe just quick, observations that I've seen is, uh, you know, number one, if you're doing a meeting like this, you're not traveling. So there's not, yeah. you know, driving to, you're not driving from, there's not the waiting for people to show up, you know, the, the zoom meeting or whatever platform you're using starts at nine, you start at nine. And interestingly, what I've observed in a lot of meetings, particularly of groups of say more than four or five, six people, is there's a lot of side conversations you know, you try to, you try to limit that, but inevitably, you know, these two folks are sitting next to each other. They've got something that they pop up, up, they discuss it and it can be very distracting. It can prolong. And there's real, it's almost impossible to have a side conversation in a zoom meeting. Have you noticed that? Or if you've got like eight people on the screen, um, the couple ones, then, well, here's an interesting thing with the, the, the shift being to a laptop is there's been a couple of meetings I've been a part on and everyone's kind of like talking and going through their things. You now have an easy way to text chat with everyone there. And that's different because if, if you were in a meeting and you started and you whipped up your laptop and you whipped out your phone and you started texting someone at the table, it'd be very rude. And because you're not paying attention to that, but at the same time, it's a way to, have those conversations in a constructive way that's not quite that we couldn't quite accommodate before and now you're able to i'd also think to like just like in any meeting it's like there should probably be like one person leading the meeting and inviting people to speak just so that you don't have a torrent of voices over over the the webcam uh to try and keep it as consolidated and direct as possible. And yeah, like you said, meetings can run a little bit more on time now. So there's nothing wrong with having breakout meetings afterwards because yeah, everyone's working. A lot of people are working from home. They're not traveling. They're not commuting. Uh, It's a lot easier to stick to a timeline for those sort of occasions. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having breakout meetings or text chats or any of those things afterwards. Absolutely. Well, it's certainly, you know, given us an occasion here to reevaluate everything, right? Our business model yeah. and our meeting models and so forth. So, Kyle, I really want to thank you for taking the time. I think there's a lot of great information, you know, takeaways, action items uh, that, that folks can learn from. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about your business, what's the best way for them to do so? So you can shoot me an email at which is Kyle at GormanSmith.com. That's K-Y-L-E at G-O-R-M-A-N-S-M-I-T-H.com. And I'm also available by appointment. So if you have any questions about equipment or brewery planning or recipes or processes in a brewery, um, there's a appointment booking 
app on my website, which is gormansmith.com. So that's G-O-R-M-A-N-S-M-I-T-H.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. And we'll put all that in the show notes so people can click and find you and learn more about you. So thanks again, Kyle. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Finance Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinance.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Finance Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.